Every few minutes, I noticed another sign for a yoga center as I wandered the narrow alleys in the sacred Hindu city I was exploring. Targeting tourists and Hindu pilgrims, these centers appealed to the worldwide popularity of yoga as both a form of exercise and a form of spiritual discipline. In none of these centers would one find a yoga that resembled the yoga of the West, since nothing in this city, this country, or the Hindu religion is completely separated from the sacred. Yet when I am home in the United States, every few streets I drive in larger cities, I see similar signs calling for people to attend yoga studios. In these studios, however, there will rarely be Hindu offerings made nor ancient Vedic mantras, but it is impossible to deny that even the most sanitized yoga found in the West finds its roots in the sacred yoga of the East. That's an excerpt from a blog article that I wrote for the All Things All People website linked in the description here titled, Is It Okay for Christians to Do Yoga? Which of course is the same title for this podcast. And uh, if you're new to All Things All People, uh, welcome to Basecamp. This is the podcast ministry of, of All Things All People, an organization that exists to explore the darkest places and worldviews and equip Christians to engage them with the gospel. And my name is Jeremy Jenkins. I'm the executive director of All Things All People. And here on Basecamp, uh, what we uh, seek out to do is answer the questions that Christians have, uh, whether the questions that cause them to not engage with people of other religions um, or cause them to do it poorly. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a whole world of, of religious faith, of cults of spiritual and, and, and non-spiritual movements um, that I firmly believe from my own experiences and travels, um, my own research studying religion in academia and teaching it at the college level, uh, there's a whole world that for some reason Christians have always neglected to learn about, partially because they're scared or they're weirded out by it. Um, and so now what we have actually is, is uh, a whole subset of culture that proclaims, as Christians do, that we are striving to reach the world, um, that we are tr trying to reach all people as Christ commanded us, but we don't understand really any of them. And, and part of the reason for that is because we close our eyes and we cover our ears and we put our head in the sand and uh, we never ask the hard questions. And, and then when we do, I was a student pastor for a long time. Um, and I feel like the, probably one of the few things that I did somewhat well is that I, I invited students to ask hard questions. And I found that there was a lot of fruit in that because we all have questions that we wanted to ask in Sunday school or youth group or in college. And too often the evangelical church here in the United States shies away from, from not only providing an answer for them, but even encouraging the question to be asked. And so what we have now is we have generations of Christians who not only don't know the answers, but they don't feel comfortable asking the questions. And so here, here with base camp, uh, part of what we do is, is we, we want to address those questions. Um, and from time to time have, have some folks on who, uh, who can encourage us and challenge us. And so today, um, jumping in with a question, uh, that, 
honestly, I, I probably have gotten more than almost any question uh, that I've gotten. My my studies uh, in in studying what we call world religions, I, I prefer call calling the world's religions. Um, I have focused quite a bit of time on Hinduism and South Asian religions uh, like Buddhism, Sikhism, um, and so what this has led me to is that oftentimes I get asked this question, um, where should the Christian stand on the issue of yoga? And just being honest with you, I've always avoided this question, like the plague, um, because it seems like you really can't please anybody. Um, you know, some people ask this question and, and I've, I've come to realize that this question and where they stand on it and where I stand on it is a bit of a golden calf. Um, they already know, their answer. And, uh, here in the United States, especially, you know, among millennials and younger, um, we have a lot of people who, uh, who have spent quite a bit of time doing yoga and they've even benefited quite a bit physically from it. And so any notion that there's a concern or that this question is even, uh, worth asking, um, is, is quickly, uh, you know, put away by them. And then on the other side, you have, um, probably a whole, uh, segment of people who very quickly come to the conclusion that yoga is evil. Yoga is bad, that, that, it, uh, it, we can't touch it. We can't do it. Um, and even if by the end of this episode, you come to that conclusion, which you'll see that there's probably, uh, I'm probably lean more that way, uh, than, than the, the alternative. But the reality is, is this, is that I've always believed that what's going to set all things, all people apart in the, in the ministry world is that we don't settle to just say those things because we've heard other people say those things. And I'll be honest, I, I firmly believe that a lot of people are, are teetotalers on things like yoga and they don't know why. Um, They've never dealt with Hinduism. They've never dealt with South Asian religions. They just heard their pastor. They heard another podcast just say, hey, yoga's bad. And they just took their word for it. And, and you know, that's erring on the side of caution, which is great. But at the end of the day, Christians are called to be in the world, but not of it. Um, and to be in the world means that we understand, like, there's no reason the Christian shouldn't be the most well-informed person in the room. And so... Um, we, in answering this question and in providing some hopefully, hopefully thoughtful uh, uh, interaction with the question, um, the first thing we have to do is we have to engage with what actually is yoga from the South Asian, from the Hindu perspective. And so the first thing you need to know is what, what does yoga mean? What does that word mean? Um, the word yoga is an ancient word that comes from Sanskrit, which is an ancient uh, uh, language and ancient alphabet, um, that makes up much of uh, Vedic Hinduism, classic Hinduism. Um, and the word yoga in Sanskrit, uh, means union. And within Hinduism, it's always meant far more than just the physical act of yoga that many in the West are familiar with today. Um, the concept of yoga or union is actually found in many of Hinduism's most important sacred texts, most notably the Bhagavad Gita, uh, which is the most most famous and most important Hindu text that there is. And in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, where Krishna teaches the four types of yoga, bhakti um, or devotion, um, yoga, first thing you need to understand before we even go into the four different types, yoga to a Hindu does not always mean 
physical exercise. Um, yoga is a word that essentially means worship or way in which somebody would worship. It's a discipline. And so uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna dispels out the f- four different types of yoga, the four different types of religious devotion and uh, not all of them are stretches and poses. The first one, bhakti, is devotion, which if you go into any Hindu temple, people um, pouring out uh, offerings, giving offerings to Ganesh um, is bhakti yoga. Uh, that's devotion. And so that's a type of yoga. Uh, jhana yoga or knowledge, this is the study. This is especially uh, found amongst the higher caste Hindus. Um, this is this is the pursuit of sacred knowledge um, in the studies of the Hindu scriptures. Um, karma yoga, karmic yoga, um, or action is what you probably imagine it to be. Um, somebody who says that they practice karmic yoga, um, their way of devotion is establishing good karma. And I would actually say this is most likely the most common um, because wrapped within, the, woven within the fabric of Hinduism is the fact that just about every Hindu in some form or fashion is trying to establish good karma for themselves because they believe in what's called samsara, which is the cycle of rebirth, reincarnation. And so the, the pursuit of good karma is a type of yoga. Um, and then uh, dhyana uh, or concentration, often referred to as uh, raja yoga. Um, and this uh, dhyana yoga is the one that we would likely be most familiar with. The practice of yoga as a physical exercise, uh, becoming hugely popular in the West, is most similar uh, to dhyana yoga. The ritual movements and poses that make up the asana or postures uh, have always been a means to an end within yoga, which is often to promote union. Remember that the word yoga means union. Um, and that union within dhyana yoga, uh, whether with one's self uh, or Atman, um, or with, with the transcendent and unknowable God that one becomes unified with after being released from the cycle of reincarnation. So even if you don't understand much of the Hindu worldview, understand that the, the end goal within Hinduism is to be released from the cycle of samsara or rebirth and reincarnation. This is called moksha. And all of these various yogas, um, bhakti yoga, karma yoga, uh, jhana yoga, dhyana yoga, uh, are, are ways to go about one's life in a hope that this life they would establish good karma and that in the next life, they would uh, be closer to moksha. And so um, Hinduism being such a, a vastly, uh, di- like everywhere you go, Hinduism looks and sounds different. There's various and uh, vast di- vastly different beliefs across all of Hinduism on these topics. But at the end of the day, um, all of this is is a journey towards moksha. And for thousands and thousands of years, yoga, dhyana yoga, the physical act of yoga has been a way to achieve union. And some Hindus would say that it's union with one's self. Um, and when a Hindu says self, when a South Asian says self, 
they don't just mean soul. Um, they, they, they mean the innermost part of you. Like this is the thing that goes from life to life. You, you discard the physical body, but this Atman, this self goes from life to life. So some, so some perform the physical acts of yoga to achieve union with that self. And then some perform the physical acts of yoga to achieve oneness or union, um, with a God that is in any way, any other way unknowable. And so to begin the question of what exactly is yoga from the South Asian or Hindu perspective, you have to, to believe, you have to realize quickly that it's, it's sacred. Um, it is not something that can be separated, uh, from the sacred act and sacred ritual. In fact, there's a famous yoga guru, and I'm going to butcher this name, K. Uh, Patabi Joyce. Uh, he once said the essence of yoga is to reach oneness with God, um, at that, at the notion that yoga could be seen as simply a form of exercise, Joyce said, using it for physical practice is no good of no use, just a lot of sweating, pushing and heavy breathing for nothing. The spiritual aspect, which is beyond the physical is the purpose of yoga. When the nervous system is purified, when your mind rests in the Atman or the self, then you can experience the true greatness of yoga. And so we see that this yoga guru is saying, Hey, there, it, it makes absolutely no sense to separate yoga from the spiritual discipline that it has always been. In fact, the, the Hindu American foundation and advocacy and education group dedicated to promoting Hinduism in the, in the U S strongly rejects the notion that yoga can be separated from Hinduism. And they actually launched the quote, take back yoga campaign as a reaction to instances of yoga being stripped of its Hindu roots in favor of simply focusing on the asana postures that make up much of Western yoga. Um, and then in dealing with Hindu scriptures, we have the sutra, the yoga sutra, which is a, a document from around 200 BC to 200 AD. Um, we don't exactly know, but it's largely responsible for shaping Hindu thought regarding yoga. And it explains that quote, yoga is a complete suppression of the tendency of the quote, of the thinking principle. Uh, to transform itself into objects, thoughts, etc. Uh, in much of Hindu thought, that that phrase "thinking principle" is that which distracts one from focusing on the self, uh, thereby keeping one ignorant of the true reality around them. The sutra continues: all misery arises from allowing the thinking principle to cover or take the place of this immutable source of bliss and knowledge. All of this to say, so you you might have a hard time following. Um, this historical information and this scripture and all of that. But all of this to say that the sutra um, and Hindus themselves all make the indisputable case that it is exclusively a spiritual discipline that is impossible to separate from the ancient practices uh, found within the Hindu religion of the Indian, Indian subcontinent. So understand that the history, that, this, that the theological meaning of yoga you cannot bifurcate that. Um, you cannot divide that. And in fact, many Indians, many, many Hindus are making the case that to do that uh, is, is actually quite offensive to them. And so we come then to the question, okay, oh, what then should the Christian do? Uh, what, what then, how do things like Christian freedom uh, come into this? You hear that phrase all the time. Well, Christians have freedom. Um, you'll hear things like, well, I want to redeem yoga. And, and I'll start by saying this, I, I believe that there's room for this conversation. I believe that, um, we can't 
we can't throw out the fact that Christians are free, that Christians are to redeem practices uh, that otherwise uh, come from anywhere but uh you know, the church or, uh, biblical teaching, uh, it is okay to do secular things. It is okay to do things that are quote unquote non Christian, uh, but to redeem them, to cast a new light on them. But the question is, can we do this with yoga? And so despite this long history in the West, yoga has become mostly devoid of any spiritual meaning. Uh, now it's one of the most popular forms of low impact exercise, and even many Christians have sought it out not only as a means to exercise, but to slow down, meditate, and even pray. I, I've seen many churches who have yoga classes. Um, I've had many Christians uh, talk to me about this topic and uh, make advocacy to me um, for the use of yoga within Christianity because it causes them, it gives them time to stop and pray. And so uh, some, because of this, some Christians balk at the notion that this conversation is even worth having, instead preferring to simply refer to the concept of Christian freedom, which would seem to indicate that followers of Christ can participate in any practice they like with no repercussions at all. Uh, and so while personally, I, I do believe there is room for Christians to utilize some of the postures and stretches found in yoga, because the, the notion, by the way, that an entire religious group should have ownership over physical acts that serve our health and well-being is ridiculous. But that being said, Christians should be thoughtful and prayerful in how they seek out this, quote, redemption of a practice that is anything but secular and devoid of spirituality, as some have led to believe. Christian freedom does not mean that you can do whatever you want um, with, with no repercussions. Your freedom does not mean you can be foolish. Um, in all of Paul's teachings, Paul is pretty much where we get most of our, our understanding of what we call Christian freedom. Paul's teachings on the subject of Christian freedom are all written in the context of how to navigate a world where your faith does not make sense and it does not fit. And so he is first and foremost in his teachings on Christian freedom, communicating to the early church, you have to navigate wisely in this world that, that is completely devoid of truth. Um, and that these pagan practices that he was surrounded by, that it does in fact matter how you interact with them. And so you have to be thoughtful. If you're, if you're the person who's constantly saying, oh, Christians have freedom, Christians have freedom. Okay, good. Are you the most thoughtful person in that conversation? Like, are you actually asking where does this come from? If it's, if it's the Hindu practice of yoga. So what is yoga? Um, if you're going to say something is needs to be redeemed, do you understand why it needs to be redeemed? Do you need, do you understand what it's being redeemed from? Or are you simply using your Christian freedom, um, this idea that we can redeem non-Christian practices as an excuse to just do whatever you want? Um, and I believe that unfortunately in the Western church here in the 21st century, that there's a lot of that going around, that there's a lot of people who use phrases like Christian freedom because they just they just want freedom. Um, and, and so they don't understand that actually what they do might be hurting themselves. And, and this goes back to Paul's teachings, what you're doing might be hurting others. And it should be no surprise to us that Paul's teachings to early church seem to be consumed with, Hey, being a gospel believer, being a Jesus person is to be a person who thinks about how, what I do impacts others and especially non-believers. And so 
the entire conversation of Christian freedom and even this one on, on the subject of yoga has to be consumed by the same things for us to be able to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I have freedom. Um, are we viewing this the same way Paul wanted us to? So um, the first thing that we need to understand, Christians cannot simply redefine the term yoga <laughs> to mean whatever they want it to mean. Um man, we are, we're good at this. Like we are good at repurposing words and saying, Oh, that's not what it means to me. Um, for, for the, for the Western Christian to use the word yoga and use it in, in a way that just means the purely physical act of what we would call asana yoga, um, is, is very arrogant. Um, I mean, you're using a word that for over a billion people on planet earth means, um, in some form or fashion, religious devotion, and you're pretending that you can just turn it into a physical act of exercise. And so understand that you can't, you can't do that. It's a term steeped in religious understanding and significance, and it is dangerous, arrogant, ultimately a poor witness for the Christian to assume that they can blindly secularize a topic and practice that for one seventh of the world's population is purely religious. Uh, adding to this concern is the growing use of yoga among the new age, the neo-pagan and the occult. Uh, if you're, if you're unaware, which if you're listening to an ATAP podcast, I assume that you're at least somewhat aware that the the occult, the new age, the neo-pagan here in the U.S. is growing rapidly. And um, yoga uh, as a spiritual discipline, as a physical act of exercise, but also a spiritual discipline is growing in popularity amongst that group. So for a Christian to approach this topic carelessly in the name of Christian freedom is to neglect what I, like I've said, the true heart of Paul's teaching on that issue in his letter to the church at Corinth uh, in first Corinthians 10, he addressed the issue of Christians participating in pagan rituals by saying, quote, what do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. First Corinthians 10 is especially helpful to us in this particular conversation. Paul's instructions here show us that we are not to approach issues of pagan ritual, which that is what yoga is. Um, we are to not approach issues of pagan ritual and practice with a freedom that leads to reckless abandonment, but instead one that leads to spirit led care for our neighbor and concern for how our freedom impacts them. This is why an understanding of the roots of yoga is necessary for the Christian who would desire to, quote, redeem it. So just as eating the meat of, of uh, the eating of meat sacrificed to idols was not inherently sinful, right? Paul's making the case, okay, eating the meat that's sacrificed to idols is not inherently sinful, right? There's nothing about that meat that's, that's going to curse you. Um, the poses and stretches of yoga are not sinful on their own. Uh, like I've said, I, I, I do think, I mean, to, to argue that the stretches uh, and poses of yoga don't benefit the, the physique and don't benefit our physical health are, that's obviously stupid. I mean, right. The studies have been proven that, um, 
what Hindus have been doing for years and years and years and years is actually uh, quite an ingenious form of exercise. Um, but it's, it's the concern for our witness that should bring about hesitation, thoughtfulness, and prayer for the, for the Christian participating in yoga. It's not just that you should be concerned with your physical well-being or your mental well-being. Uh, those calling for yoga to be a redeemable practice for Christians cannot also be the people too lazy to learn why it needs redemption in the first place. It must be redeemed because at its root, it belongs to a tradition set on the idolization of false gods and the self. And yoga often stands at the center of how that tradition is practiced. When you say something has to be redeemed, then ultimately that means that at some point it is wicked. It is, it is in need of redemption. And you don't just get to define the terms of how that redemption happens. So is it permissible? For the Christian to participate in the ancient Hindu practice of yoga as it has been historically understood and taught within Hinduism, a resounding no. And we must not, we must stop insisting that words like freedom and grace permit us to participate in things directly opposed to the worship of the one true God. But is it permissible for the Christian to glean from those practices what can be utilized for physical and mental well-being while outright rejecting the spiritual practices that have historically come come with it? Yes, but it should come with some biblical considerations. And here, here are three things that if you are seeking out the redemption of yoga, whether that be, hey, for your own personal practices or for the, you know, the teaching of others, here's some considerations that you have to, you, it's not just me saying this, right? This comes from the New Testament. This comes from a world that's really not that dissimilar from ours, which is to say that Paul and the apostles were surrounded by practices and traditions uh, that the early Christians said, hey, do we have to stop doing this? right? Does this fit? And the apostles were saying, Hey, anything that is the worship or idolization of a false God or the self is out. Right. Um, but, but they leave room for the fact that, Hey, we are free, right? So there's a tension. Our freedom brings about a tension in our lives. And for the Christian to be about Christian freedom, grace, and redemption of practices, they have to be willing to go through these considerations. So here's the first one I want you to ask. Am I blindly following the practice of yoga in the company of those who are in fact using it for pagan spiritual practices, whether they realize it or not? There are yoga studios here in the West, which whether they realize it or not, are doing um, the, the things that when you're in Varanasi, India, the holiest place in all of Hinduism, uh, that are happening in the yoga studios there. And those are part of Hindu spiritual practices. And so, um, things like uh, Bikram yoga, uh, which I believe is like hot yoga. Um, yeah. If you go into a hot yoga studio, uh, especially like a Bikram studio, um, it, yeah. Is it, is it, is it sanitized? Is it Westernized? Certainly. Um, but many of the words, many of things like vinyasa, uh, and the, the ner the, the words for the poses and the terms that are used, these are actually terms that if a Hindu were to walk in there, those terms would be purely spiritual to them. And so are, are you following the practice of yoga in the company of places and peoples like that? Um, that's important. Um, if, if I continue, here's the second one. If I continue to utilize the physical poses in yoga for physical well-being, right? So as I've said, you, 
I mean, it, it's not just me determining this. This is common sense that says this, right? You can use those poses. You can you can stretch those ways. It's not like you you do downward facing dog, uh, and and all of a sudden you, you're possessed by a demon, right? That's foolish, and that's where the the overreaction sometimes comes from Christians, which is to say, Hey, if you do that pose, uh, you're, you're dining with demons, right? Um, no, that's not the case. Right. But if I, if I am doing that, should I at least consider not using Hindu terms like yoga, which once again, yoga is a Hindu term, no matter how many times we try and redefine it. So as to not confuse those around me that might be from a Hindu or a neo-pagan persuasion. What effect does it have on the people around you that you are even just saying that you do yoga? Think about that. If, if you have a Hindu friend or you let, let's broaden our horizons here. Let's pretend that, that you actually move to Asia, right? To be a missionary or to, to, for work or something like that. And, and you say, yeah, I love yoga. I do yoga. Can you stop for a minute and do what unfortunately most Christians here in the West are unable or unwilling to do, which is this. Think about what they hear when you say that, right? That, that word is purely spiritual within the Hindu uh, faith. And so what they're hearing you say is that you are identifying in some form or fashion um, with their worldview, with how they see reality, how they've determined uh, truth to be. And then last, am I stubbornly insisting that I am free to do whatever I want because of my Christian freedom with no regard to how my actions might be impacting those around me? That question, right, should step on our toes in more ways than just yoga. Um, that question goes into issues like drinking. <laughs> that goes into issues um, like recreational drug use. That goes into issues of our, of our speech, of our language, of, of, of all behaviors, right? Are you stubbornly insisting that because grace covers a multitude of sins that you're free to do whatever you want? Because Paul also said, uh, why sin so that grace should abound? Certainly not. And, you know, like most of the questions that come up when discussing other faiths and how Christians interact with them, this question does require complex discussion and deep thought rooted in the word of God. Um, but maybe what we should all realize is that the world that the New Testament was written in is really not that different from the world we, 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 we are living in now, um, which is that we are surrounded by practices. We are surrounded by, um, things that require deep thought and reflection on what the word says. Um, and that's not a bad thing, right? And in fact, unfortunately, uh, many Christians have lost the ability or the willingness to do that very thing. And so for you, some of you might be um, horribly offended at what I said, and uh, lovingly I say I, I don't mind that. Um, and, and and feel free, you know, reach out, uh, engage with this uh, question on Instagram. Um, you can follow me at all things dot all people. Um, you can reach out to me, Jeremy at all things all people dot org. Um, this is uh, just one of many questions that ATAP is going to tackle. Um, in our pursuit to, to do what I think more Christians need to do, which is thoughtfully, thoughtfully interact with a source material, interact with, well, what does this group actually say? What do they actually believe? And if that means we have to uh, reference the Yoga Sutra to, to answer the question on yoga, then that we're going to do that. Because as I've already mentioned, ATAP exists to explore the darkest places and worldviews, um, to equip Christians, to engage them with the gospel. And so this is just one small part of that. And so hopefully 
uh, you benefited from that conversation, um, feel free to share this podcast with somebody who, who might need it, who might be encouraged by it, who might be offended by it. That, those actually, um, might be the best people, uh, to share it with and, uh, like subscribe, share, follow on Spotify, on Apple podcasts and all those other things. And until next time, like I said, my name is Jeremy Jenkins, the executive director of all things, all people, and we'll do it again soon.